Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm your host, Sarah Koenig, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast. In celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander, or AAPI Heritage Month, SWE is highlighting AAPI women engineers who came to the U.S. as international students. Today, we will learn more about their experiences, what school was like from their perspective, and what it was like finding their first jobs. I am eager to hear about their experiences, so let's jump on in. I'm joined today by Vanessa Lee, Marina D'Souza, and Deng Yung Wen. I'm Sarah Koenig, and I'm an Associate Director for Manufacturing Cost Modeling at Pratt & Whitney, a division of Raytheon Technologies. Although I grew up here in the United States of America, I was born in South Korea and adopted as an infant. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm eager to learn more about each of you, so let's get right into introductions. Vanessa, Dion, and Marina, can you each introduce yourselves and tell our listeners a little bit more about each of yourselves? Uh, Vanessa, let's start with you. Hi, my name is Vanessa Lee. I came from Hong Kong when I was in high school. When I first came to the U.S., I lived in a boarding school in Monterey Bay, California. And it was just two weeks before 911 in 2001 when I arrived to the new country. When I come to the U.S., I didn't know anybody. And with the 911 happening, it was kind of chaotic at the time with a lot of uncertainty. My original plan was to return to Hong Kong after I finished college. I ended up studying metallurgical engineering at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I want to go into a manufacturing career while I was in college, so I decided to stay in the U.S. instead of going back to Hong Kong because there are not a whole lot of manufacturing jobs in Hong Kong, and so I decided to stay in the U.S. I have been working in steel and aluminum industry for about 15 years. Marina, do you want to go next? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Marina D'Souza. I am from Goa, India, but I was born and raised in Dubai, UAE. When I was 18 years old, I moved to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for college. I studied at Drexel University, uh, majoring in environmental engineering, and I also got a minor in material science and engineering. After my undergraduate degree, I decided to go on to graduate school, and that's where I currently am. I study, I'm getting my master's in environmental engineering at CU Boulder. I'm at the point where I'm almost graduating. For the last few months, I have been working part-time at Mott McDonald. Previously, I've also interned at uh, several companies, totaling up to 18 months. Diane, I guess you can go next. Hi, everybody. My name is Nguyen Phuong Yung, and I go by Diane. I was born and raised in Vietnam. So when I was 17 years old, I came to U.S., as a cultural exchange student. 
and I lived in uh, Provo, Utah for a year with a host family. So after my one year in Provo in Utah, and I pursued my bachelor degree in electrical engineering at the University of Hawaii, Manoa. And then after that, I did my master in electrical engineering at Arizona State University. So I started working since 2009. So I've been working for about 13 years now. I did, um, I've been doing the design of the radio frequency, cellular handset, chipset. And just recently, last year, I decided to switch my um, career, not career, but industry. So I am working, supporting the uh, development of some of the satellite communication chipset at Viasat. So I'm just excited to be here today. Oh, I'm excited to talk with all of you. Such different backgrounds, all different parts of the United States. And uh, I can't wait to learn more. So I grew up in the United States and I mostly knew what to expect from school growing up. You all started school in a different country before coming to the USA to continue your education. What was your initial experience like being in a new country and away from your family? Diane, do you want to start? Absolutely. I'd love to. So when I came to the U.S. as a cultural exchange student, I lived with Mary and she was 72 years old at the time. Very, very active lady. She was a retired politician and she was an activist for women's rights. So it was just living with her was just a ball. We did everything together. And I, I still don't understand. One thing that I didn't do is I just could not pick up the phone for the first six months. Some reason, it just something I was scared of speaking to people on the phone. But other than that, I enjoy doing things with, with Mary since she was so involved in, in politics. And I like every morning, we, we read the articles that she wrote the night before. I had no idea what she wrote, but it's just, just something that we did together and I had fun together. And we went to all different campaigns that she went to. And I also joined the, the young women's group at the church in Provo. So just one thing for sure that, you know, when, you, when I first came to Utah, I looked around and nobody looked like me, right? But just one thing, after a year, I was just so amazed that, you know, everybody's so different. I mean, even though the color of their skin is the same. But when I talk to them, I just amazed at all of their background stories about what they've been, what they've done. It's just amazing. It opened my mind to say, you know, just when you go to a different place, especially a different country, you got to be, you know, open your mind and just embrace people and talk to people. That's what I enjoyed the most. So after Utah, I went to Oklahoma for a year, but right after that, I went to Hawaii. And now you could imagine Hawaii is... It's different. It's so diverse and you could see all different people over there. Again, I just enjoy doing all different things with people. I enjoy going to the bond dances, which is the Japanese dance. And I did all the cultural thing from Korea, from Sarah, from China, uh, hula dances. It's just I enjoy doing different things and listen to people. So definitely one thing I would say when you, as an international student, I know it is very scary, go to a different place where you don't have your family, friends, you don't speak the language that you usually speak. But just in med, just keep in mind that just open, be open, embrace the people, embrace the culture of the place that you live in. And you just, you'd be surprised. You'd be amazed at the friendship that you're going to form by just by doing that. 
Your experience reminded me of a similar situation where in the first couple of months, I was afraid of picking up the phone. However, I was not allowed to have my own cell phone at the time. So I didn't really know how many months it took me to feel comfortable picking up the phone. When I first came, I was living in the dorm. And to me, one of the hardest thing is when it comes to holiday, because During the holiday, let's say Good Friday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the dorm will be closed. Sometimes they lend out the dorm room to other camp. And so the dorm students have to find a place to stay. Most of the students will go to their relatives or friends' home. And since I didn't have families or friends nearby, I often have to fly back to Hong Kong, even though if there's only like four days in a holiday, such as a Good Friday weekend. So at the time, I didn't really like holiday because it's the hassle that I have to arrange ahead of time so that I have arrangement when the dorm is closed. And at the age of, you know, 16, you are not allowed to check in at a hotel on your own. So that was kind of a headache that I need to plan ahead of time. So my advice is to not wait till the last minute, but kind of look for friends and see if you can stay at their place ahead of time. That would help quite a lot. And the other challenge I had, it was actually kind of funny. At the time, I my roommate is from Japan. And the first semester, we heard people talk about changing our clock because of daylight saving. I didn't know what they were talking about. And they said, well, just before you go to bed, change the clock by an hour. We were looking at each other and we we're like, what? Changing the time? What is going on with the world then? We just have never heard of it because I guess in Japan and in Hong Kong, we don't have daylight saving. So it was kind of confusing. And the next day going to class, it was pretty chaotic. We didn't know which clock to follow and we didn't know what it means to the stock market. Not that we have stock, but it was kind of a cultural shock that is kind of funny. Marina, do you want to share your experience? Sure, Vanessa. And kind of carrying on with your theme of holidays, I remember my first Thanksgiving. I had an American roommate at the time who was wonderful and she invited me to her house for Thanksgiving lunch and you know I didn't really know people I didn't uh, I didn't even know what Thanksgiving was to be honest I just knew that I had a few days off school and I wanted to enjoy myself and so I took her up on her offer and spent Thanksgiving with her family which was beautiful but what I didn't realize is that the night before I still needed to eat you know the day before Thanksgiving and uh, I just I didn't know what what it was going to be like I didn't realize I was fortunate enough that the dorm that I lived in didn't close. I was very much allowed to stay there, but the dining halls were shut. A lot of restaurants were shut in preparation for Thanksgiving. And so, you know, Wednesday night, me and three of my other friends, we ended up walking about 40 minutes to go to Domino's because that was the only thing open that night to get some dinner at like nine o'clock. So it's these little things that kind of surprised me in my first in my initial time when I moved to Philadelphia, but I had a really great time. I made, you know, I had a very, I had a great college experience in the beginning. 
I made lots of friends. I went out to parties. I had like great campus culture. I got involved in extracurricular clubs and academic clubs. I started working at in a research lab under a professor in my department. So I think overall, it was a really great experience. Homesickness was something I did experience. It is hard, you know, initially the first couple months, everything's fun. You're meeting all these new people. But that first time when you fall sick or the first time you need to go see a doctor or you need to buy medication, those are things where you're like, wow, I wish I was home with my family because, you know, now you have to be an adult. You live by, your, you know, you live away from family. And these are just some things you have to do for yourself, whether you like it or not. I can definitely echo homesick. I think everybody, when you, when you are away from your family, being homesick is, is not uh, is not a fun thing to do, especially like you say, Marina, when you're sick. And one thing that I used to do is when I'm homesick, I listen to my Vietnamese music and it kind of cheer me up. But sometimes when I, when I listen to the Vietnamese music so much and it's get even more homesick, so it just... Uh, but, but it is real and it is, uh, it's good to have friends and other around you when you're homesick and you miss your family. You're right, Diane. Like, I agree. I was really fortunate where I lived in a very, you know, large, diverse city. So I found a very strong Indian community. I found a really good community at my church. So those things really did help in, you know, keeping the homesickness, at least to minimize it a little bit. So some of finding a community of friends especially ones that are kind of from your home country, sometimes that really does do the trick. And I think for me, the first Chinese festival was Mid-Autumn Festival at the time when I first arrived. And when I was young, I didn't treasure as much about the festival. The festival is very similar to Thanksgiving where family will gather and have food together. At the time, it was the first time I was looking at the moon by myself and I was feeling very sad not to be able to see my families. And that actually kind of remind me I need I should have treasure more when my mom make me good food because that was the first time I couldn't get a hold of those food and mom is being so far away. At the time, we do have Internet, but we were sharing two computers among 50 girls. So it was kind of hard to even grab a hold of the phone at the time. And, you know, talking about food, I, it's something I still do even now. Anytime I move to a new city, one of the first things I do is see if there's an Indian grocery store near me and how far it is and if I can walk there. I remember the first time after I moved to the U.S., I visited an Indian grocery store and it smelled like home. I could, you know, smell spices. I could smell food. They had a little restaurant in the back. And I promise you, looking at all of those brands and all of that familiar packaging, I teared up a little. That's, that's all amazing insight and experiences. Thank you all for sharing. Navigating through high school and college often relies really heavily on tribal knowledge and knowing what people before you did. There's a lot of when you go look for when you go look for tips on college, there's lots of blog entries and ways to research. But what tips or lessons learned can you share with the people listening from your experiences? I can speak to that a little bit. The one thing that, you know, as time has gone by, I realize has become 
more and more important. And it's something I didn't really consider when I was applying to colleges or even considering all the acceptances I received was, or when I applied to colleges, what mattered to me were, you know, all these like US news ratings or what people said on Reddit or what different blogs said about the school. So those kinds of things mattered. And, you know, of course, tuition fees and scholarship, those things are undoubtedly very important. But some other things I would also encourage everyone to consider is what kind of location is your university in? I lucked out. I grew up in Dubai, which is a very urban city. Philadelphia is also very much the same. And I love that environment. I needed things to be open late. I needed to be able to like walk places and go out with my friends and have fun things to do even outside of campus. But not all universities are like that. Some of those can, some places can be very isolating or very heavily focused on campus life where there's not really much else to do outside of that. Weather is another thing. Different parts of the US have drastically different weather. I currently live in Colorado where it's supposedly sunny 360 days in a year. And I love it. I love having the sun. So even on cold days, there's still a little bit of sunshine, which helps. But I used to live on the East Coast where, you know, four to six months in a year, it is dark, it is gloomy, it's cold, it's snowy. And sometimes that works for people, sometimes it doesn't. So it's just a matter of understanding some of these nuances that you may not always think about. Okay, I will go next. So... When I was in high school, because I do not have a guardian at the time, living in a boarding school, our school did not allow us to take driving lessons because it's a huge risk for the school to take. So at the time, I also didn't know the importance of having a driver license in the U.S. Because in Hong Kong, most people do not have to drive their own car with so much public transportation. And nobody really gave me an advice that I need to eventually learn how to drive. So throughout high school, I never put that as a priority. And when I went to college, um, the college town had free buses. So it was it was not a priority for me to learn how to drive too. And during my senior year, I was looking for a full-time job, which I will talk more about in the next session. So I was looking for a full-time job. I have to go for on-site interview. I was lucky enough that all the locations, the companies that I was were interviewing is reachable by Amtrak. But a lot of times you may not be as lucky. So I was lucky enough to be able to get a passing score in my driver license and got my driver license two weeks before I have to start my full-time job in June. So I graduated in the middle of May and I have to start my full-time job in June 1st. And it was only two weeks of time for me to get past getting a driver license. So throughout my senior year, I was rushing to learn how to drive. And my advice is to start early, way earlier than your senior year in college, because you do not want not having a driver license to become a barrier when you are trying to look for a full-time job. Marina, do you want to share about a story about driver license? Yeah. So growing up in Dubai, you know, my parents usually drove me around. And then I moved to the U.S. and I lived in a city with a pretty good public transportation system. So I didn't really feel the need to get a license. But around my second year of college, I just decided I should just get one 
offhandedly like this was not something I really planned for and I ended up getting my driver's license in the course of a few months but it was a really odd experience for me because I grew up in a place where it was kind of obvious that you went to like a driving school and they made you take lessons and you took a test and you passed and then you got your license but over in the U.S. a lot of people are actually taught how to drive by their parents or their uncle or like an older figure and it was such a wild concept to me because I didn't have that I had no one I could ask to teach me how to drive so I had to research driving schools figure out how much it was going to cost me take those lessons and funnily enough the day of my actual driving exam you know I scheduled my exam and they said oh like you have to figure out how to bring your own car and you know you'll have an instructor sit with you. And I said, what do you mean bring my own car? I don't own a car. Like, I don't have anyone here that's going to lend me their car. I don't have a driving license. So there's no reason why anyone would even think to lend me a car. And so I ended up calling the driving school, said, I need to take my exam. How can you help me facilitate this? And so they ended up charging me a little more, but they let me bring a car with a driving instructor to the test. I took my test in the driving school's car. And then I had to go back home and, you know, the driving instructor took the car back to, I guess, the driving school. So it's these little nuances that can make things really difficult. And you don't really always understand how to navigate these things. You're not always taught how to navigate these things. Yeah, Marina, I'm glad you shared that story because it reminded me I actually took my driving test. After I bought my car, which is kind of odd at the time because I bought a car with my friend's help and I couldn't drive the car to home because I didn't have a license and I have to take my driving test with the new car. So I'm glad you pointed out. Deanne, do you want to go next? Sure. Before I moved into my story, I, Marina's story made me chuckle a little bit because when I live in Oklahoma, she offered, my aunt offered to, to teach me how to drive. And after I drove her for one time, she said, okay, I think I'm going to refer you to a driving school. I'm not doing it with you anymore. So one thing, my story, I want to share about the, the coursework and about the school and thing like that. So when I was a cultural exchange student, one thing I didn't know as a cultural exchange student at my school and my high school we cannot graduate. It doesn't matter how many coursework we transfer. So I transfer all of my coursework in Vietnam to the U.S., but we cultural exchange students just cannot graduate. So I did not know about that fact before I came to the state. So I just, like, what am I going to do? So I talked to the counselor, the school's counselor. And finally, I actually rushed to take the GAD that summer before college. And luckily, I passed with like I barely passed. So I was able to go to college. So right after that, I went to college in Oklahoma. And it was just like for international students choosing the school that is affordable school with a good education. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. So like everybody else. So I went to the school. I, I look at the bill for the first semester and I know that it, my parents cannot support my education for four years. So I had to do something. So I had to find a way to find a school, find a scholarship, find some form of assistance so that I can complete my school. 
So while I was doing my research, and University of Hawaii at Manoa actually came up, and it's just a great, great place. And Hawaii, since it's in the in the Pacific, it actually provided a lot of assistantship to students coming from Asian country. So from and it's, it's a great school, so that's why I decided to move to Hawaii. So when I went to Hawaii, and then I, I was just doing my coursework, and then what is the next step? What do I want to do with with my life? So then I know since I was small, medicine was what I wanted to do. And then again, when I looked at uh, medical schools in the U.S., again, I just cannot afford that. And I just cannot take out a loan because of my international student status. So what I'm going to do? So I just look around and then say engineering may be interesting. So I was just taking a few engineering courses And I graduated from engineering, not with one degree, two degrees. And I'm, I've been doing that for 13 years now. I think I, once in a while, I look back and say, uh, should I try medicine? But I think I'm happy with engineering. And I think that's one of the best decisions in my life, pursue engineering and, and working as an engineer right now. I guess to switch tracks a little bit, I definitely like to give some advice to everyone that's listening. Something that's helped me all these years is always having digital copies of all of my documentation on my phone or in an easily accessible place. For people that are listening and aren't aware, when international students come travel back to the U.S. from wherever they're visiting outside of the country, they're required to produce something called an I-20 and show the F-1 visa on their passports. You usually have your passport with you when you're traveling. But sometimes you might forget your I-20 or you might need another piece of documentation like your university's like admission letter or a transcript or, you know, XYZs. There are several other documents that you might need. And sometimes you might miss one of those or you might just not have them or whatever it is. It's always helped me to have a digital copy on my phone, either saved directly in my phone I typically try to keep mine on Google Drive and make sure that they're available offline. There have been instances where I've been stopped at U.S. Border Protection and they've asked me for a document. And, you know, I pull up my phone and say, you know, it's on my phone. I can show you and maybe I can connect to the Internet or maybe my data is not working or whatever it is. And I can't just open Google Drive because I don't have access to the Internet. So saving those files offline you know, helps me pull it up pretty instantly and show whoever needs to see it. Also something that I personally faced during my time and also something that I had some trouble with early on when I first moved here was doing my taxes. It, we're just, you know, nearing the end of tax, we're just past the end of tax season. And when I first came here, I was asked to do taxes as an 18-year-old. I did not understand how to do taxes. I never had to do taxes growing up. I was less than 18 years old. So when I moved here and I got a little letter saying, oh, you have to do your taxes and make sure you file them by so-and-so date. I went to my international student's office at my university and asked, how do I do these? I don't know any of these forms. I don't know what I have to fill out. And I certainly don't want to fill them out wrong because, you know, I don't, there shouldn't be a chance where I'm jailed or fined or any of those things. So I was lucky my university prov provided us with software that we were able to use to kind of just input information in a relatively easy manner. And that would kind of fill out our tax form for us. 
and I was able to file that. So there's these little nuances that you don't really realize until you're a little bit older and on your own, because I couldn't call up my parents and ask them how to help me with my taxes because they'd also never done taxes in the U.S. So it definitely helps to ask people if you're struggling. I went and asked IS at my university for help with my taxes. They provided me with a solution. I talked to some of my other friends who were international students that helped. They gave me some advice as well. So definitely reach out when you're struggling, especially when you're new, because it is a brand new environment. Everything's different, or at least a lot of things are different. So you aren't expected to know everything. Marina, I'm glad you pointed out because I also experienced the same problem. I was working in my college for a research lab and I got like $10 an hour, which is pretty good at the time as a part-time job working for a professor in the lab. And at the end of the year, like I was told I need to file my tax return. And same situation as you, I have no clue how to start and it looks so complicated. I remember one of the question is, can somebody claim you as a dependent? which I have no clue what it means because am I a dependent to my parents? Yes, that's no doubt. However, my parents does not file tax return in the U.S. So the question about will somebody be able to claim you as a dependent really trouble me. I did not know how to answer that question. And when I went to the counselor, they told me that I need to talk to my parents about that. Similar situation as you, my parents has not filed any tax return in the U.S. before and have no clue how to help me. So definitely start early and talk to people will help a lot. I'm glad you shared your experience here. Yeah, using your network, we find important now as, as adults and work. And it sounds like you all learned the importance of using a network very early on through high school and college to navigate some situations that I've always thought of as second nature and didn't realize the challenge they could pose or people not familiar with them. So sticking with lessons learned and tips that you can share from your experiences, trying to find a full-time job is one of the more challenging rites of passage that we all face when we're graduating from college. Lots of stress there. So it must have been even more difficult for you all as international students. So Diane, do you want to share some of the tips that you used or wish you had used looking back when you were looking for your full-time job? Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. I think if I could give the tip to listeners, I would say the two tips that I, I have in mind. One is that the importance of doing an internship before you graduate. And two is the willingness to travel, to go to a different state for work. And um, I'm going to talk about how, what I mean by that. So internship, I, I know it is very difficult even for the native, for the students living in the country to find a job. So for international students, like us, right? It's even a little bit more challenging because what we have is, I believe it's, it's called optional practical training. I don't know it's changed now, but at the time, that's what it was. So we have just a certain period of time. We have a year or so, and we have to kind of allocate. 
So a lot of、uh, my friends, they actually say, "Okay, I'm going to save that the entire year for after graduation, so that I could find a full time job." But for me, though, I would say try to get at least one internship before graduation. I know that would cut down the time after you graduate. But just consider, just think about companies. They they're going to have to pay money for sponsoring you. So that means that you need to make that impression. That you need to make that good. Resume. So having that internship, it just always, always important to help you get the full time job.、Uh, so when I was studying in Hawaii, it was a little bit challenging for me to find that internship because in Hawaii, the the biggest employer of the state for engineering job is the Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard, and definitely without a citizenship, I could not do that. And then also a lot of the big military contractors like. Boeing or Lockheed Martin or Northrop, Raytheon, they came to campus and they recruit、um, interns. And again, I just cannot do that. And then also another source is the startup companies or some of the telescope in the state. And at least they would require the permanent resident instead of sponsoring international students. So it was challenging. So what I did though is I actually worked on research with my professors. Since I was in undergrad,、uh, since I was doing that, they actually they have to, the professors have the network. They know what companies would actually help you, would actually sponsor you. So by working with them, with my professors, they actually recommended me, refer me to this internship, and I took that, and that that lead to the second, the third, and it's finally I was able to get my job after. So the second point I wanted to point out is the willingness to travel to go to a different state. So for my first internship, I could not find anything in the state of Hawaii, even though I just would love to stay there. So because of my professor's help, I got my first internship at Bell Labs in Murray Hill, in New Jersey. So it's fly all the way from Hawaii to New Jersey, and then my second internship I did it at in Arizona. So just be willing to travel to go to a different state and just do the research, and I would say that is my two tips for international students right now. Vanessa, do you want to share? Yeah, I think you make a lot of good suggestions. So I have couple advice that I want to share. I would say for international student without a passport, without a green card, it is very difficult to find a full time job. But try to think of companies that have global footprint. Like try to target global companies that have locations in other country, because they are most likely to be sponsoring work visa already. And also talk to friends and alumni who have gone through this process before, and ask them to share their experience because everybody has different experience. Or pathway to navigate from being an international student to how they launch a full time job, and some of the story may inspire you to look into different possibility that you have you may not be aware of. And the other advice is consider working for a U.S. company that is located in your home country. So after you earn some. Work experience there, and if you have good performance for let's say a year or two, it will be easier if you apply for an internal transfer within the same company, but back to the U.S. 
for people that work with you for the past one or two years while you're at your home country, your colleagues know how you perform and it will be easier for you to get a good reference to transfer to a different role within the same company in the U.S. And, you know, sometimes you just have to prove your worth before people will invest and sponsor you. So this would be another way to go to consider while looking for a full-time job in the U.S., similar to what Diane was saying, not to be afraid to travel to another place temporarily and then later on apply to transfer back. My third advice is if finance is not an issue to you, try to consider volunteering at local community because this way you proactively create some work experience and network with people while still looking for a full-time job. Just imagine you are in an interview and the interviewer asks you, what have you been doing during this last six months of your employment gap? You can tell them what you are working on because volunteering experience is also work experience. So this can actually help you build your work experience in your resume while you are still looking for a full-time job. Marina, do you want to go next? Absolutely. You know, back to Deanne's uh, point about not letting location be a barrier. I 100% support that. I cannot tell you how many times in interviews, both for my internships and for full-time positions, I, and at career fairs, in fact, I've always marketed myself as someone who is willing to move around, someone that's never tied down to a location, because sometimes that's really an asset. You know, if I was looking for a job in, let's say, Pennsylvania, but the companies I wanted to work at didn't have the kinds of jobs I wanted in Pennsylvania, but had them maybe in California. But I, if I went to them and said, you know, I really want to stay in Pennsylvania, that would mean I probably just wouldn't get the job. But being able to say, you know, I have the freedom to move around, I'm flexible, I want to see different parts of the country that really shifts an employer's perspective when they're looking at you so they don't so they look at your willingness to move around and to be flexible as quite the asset let me share a story with all of you so when i was an undergrad i was really involved in ASCE which is the american society of civil engineers i was president of our student chapter at the university for 2 years and i attended several conferences went to a lot of networking events so that really helped me get to know the professionals in my area and people that were going to be hiring managers someday or that people that were already hiring managers. I attended one such conference, if I'm not mistaken, it was in Buffalo, New York. And I happened to talk to someone at the conference who was um, a water engineer. We got to talking. I let him know that I'm an environmental engineer. I am interested in so-and-so thing. And I'm looking for an internship, you know, upcoming in the next maybe four months. He handed me a business card and said, you know, we have an office in Philadelphia. Once we go back, why don't you shoot me an email? Let's talk. We got to talking. He invited me down to the office, showed me around, introduced me to some people. I had another, I guess, more formal interview after that. And in a few weeks, he had offered me a position, you know, an internship position at the company. I didn't end up taking it for different reasons, but it was that one conference that I attended because of that one organization that I was a part of. So even SWE was really active 
um, at my university. So I know several people who've gone to networking events, who've gone to conferences and made these connections. So I really encourage, especially people coming into college and people who are currently in college, to really take advantage of all of the professional and academic organizations within your university. Those can truly open some doors for you because alumni from those organizations and from your university are always want to help you, always want to talk to you and help you succeed. So definitely recommend that. Another piece of advice I have for everyone listening is don't be afraid to send that like cold email. Well, not so much cold call anymore, but cold email or cold LinkedIn request to people who have jobs that you're interested in. I happen in these emails or LinkedIn requests can go to people who graduated from the same program you're in currently or people that have just graduated from your university or even people whose jobs you admire or career trajectories you admire. It never hurts to email them or text or, you know, send them a LinkedIn request and say, hey, I, you know, I came across you in so-and-so space. Would you have maybe 20 minutes to chat with me and with Zoom and all these other, you know, video conferencing devices and softwares? Doing that is incredibly easy. Several years ago, this was when I was about a year away from graduating, maybe a little more. I happened to come across someone on LinkedIn who had graduated from the same, from my department, um, maybe 10 years or 15 years at that point. So this person was a reasonably seasoned alum. I messaged him on LinkedIn. I said, hey, I see that you graduated from my department about 15 years ago but you have a job that I haven't come across before. He was a hydrologist. I said, would you be willing to maybe get on the phone with me and just talk to me about what, what your job entails? It's something I didn't come across before, and I wanted to understand that that might be a good career path for me. Uh, we got to talking. It was a great conversation. I stayed in touch with him. I sent him a copy of my resume and said, you know, here's my resume. It's not like I'm asking for a job or anything right now, but keep it in mind. Right. In a few months, and I let him know that I was graduating about within the year. A few months later, he got back to me and said, Hey, there are some people in our Philadelphia office that might be interested in meeting you. Can we set up, you know, why don't you come by the office one day and we'll have a chat? I said, Of course, you know, I was more than happy because this felt like a potential interview. Several things happened, but I was not able to make it to their office. So we decided to meet in like, in downtown Philadelphia, we had lunch with about five of his colleagues. It was a very casual group interview, a very casual atmosphere, but I really got to learn about different career opportunities within the company. People at different stages got to talk to all of them. A few weeks later, he comes back to me and says, you know, we all really enjoy talking to you. We'd really like to offer you a position. I was thrilled. I was grateful. But at that time, I'd made plans to attend graduate school. So I was pretty upfront with him. I said, you know, this feels like a great opportunity. But unfortunately, I've already made plans to go to graduate school. I really am interested in pursuing an additional degree, but I'd like to stay in touch. And that was about two years ago. We're in touch to this day. We keep talking about my career progress, where I am in my program, 
we've set up a few calls, or we've sent a few emails back and forth. So I encourage you to take that step and email people or send that LinkedIn request to people you may not even know. There's always people willing to help you. I love all of that advice, Marina. And as someone who's involved in my alma mater's mentoring programs, I love it when people reach out and to give back. The Sweet Mentor Network is something that I'm very active in and have met with a lot of people. I get a lot of times a question from mentees, this very question. And I've often given them the advice to focus on what they like to do and not the industry because some industries, you know, as Diane indicated, may not be as accessible without citizenship, but they might be able to find the type of work that they like in a different industry. And I'm definitely going to be incorporating some of these tips that you all have shared. And I'm certainly going to incorporate the tips that you all have given into my future conversations on this We Mentor Network. So keeping with the theme of the first full-time job experience, Let's move from getting it to actually having it. So even being raised in the United States, I've struggled with others' perception of my age for more than the first 10 years of my career. People thinking that I was a co-op just even when I was a manager. So if you had to give your younger self advice about that first full-time job, what would you say to her? I can go. I would... You know, looking back about all of my experiences, and I'm still young in my career, so any advice Vanessa, you and Deanne have, like, I'm, you know, so happy to take that. Uh, But even looking back as a young intern, I would give myself the advice that be yourself. People like when you're authentic. People can see through when you're trying to be someone you're not. Be eager, be want to learn and take advantage of the opportunities you have. Um, I remember in one of my internships, my supervisor was incredibly supportive and he really pushed me to talk to people from other departments and take the time to learn from them and even collaborate on projects. And I understand sometimes not all supervisors may be that encouraging, but if you have the opportunity don't say no. If you have the chance to take a training course, do it. If your internship's giving you the chance to travel, do it. You never know what you might learn. I've taken a course on like a crisis center operative. I've taken a crisis center operative course. So basically a 911 responder. I've taken a course on how to kind of manage that. And I will probably never be a 911 call center operator, but that's taught me to that's taught me how to keep myself calm in stressful situations and how to manage different pieces of information and how to respond clearly and think straight in times of crisis so you never know what opportunities are out there and by all means take them you're young or you're a little bit older whatever opportunities are never lacking right and and show your perspective as international students and international, I guess, people living in the U.S., we have very different experiences. Don't shy away from them. Make those your strength because you might be introducing something amazing from your culture to someone who's never heard of it before. You know, it can be food. It can be music. It can be 
other cultural traditions, it can be religion, whatever it is, don't feel like your background is a hindrance to your progress because it shouldn't be. You should be able to bring your entire authentic self to where you study and where you work. I'll go next. So, Sarah, I'm glad you bring up the point about people misinterpret your age because I face that situation a lot. I have been mistaken many times as if I'm a high schooler or a college student, although I'm in my late 30s. And sometimes you would think that, oh, that must be a compliment. But at work, it is not always the case. When I was younger, I was afraid to speak up. But as years pass, I think I have enough practice to respond to this type of situation. And I would give an example. In recent years, I went to a customer location to help solve a problem at the time. Some of the problem that we made lead to some stamping issue at our customer site. So I was looking at our material, trying to look at what is a possible cause and trying to sort them out. I have all my personal protective equipment on with me, glove, long sleeve, hearing protection, hard hat, and glasses. One of the customer told me, you cannot do that. I looked at myself. I have all the required safety gear. I don't understand what he was talking about. He said, oh, you don't understand because you just come out from college. And I have experienced that quite a few times. So I rehearse and practice how to respond when it comes. Usually this type of comment caught you off guard. So I practice ahead of time. And I told him, I said, college, you mean 15 years ago? And then that guy was shocked. He opened up his mouth and he said, oh, you, you just don't understand. That's not how it works here. You cannot touch this and touch that and contaminate everything. I said, you mean I touch the steel and the aluminum and then I touch the steel again? No, I did not touch the steel. I only touch my material, which is aluminum. And are you talking about the galvanized steel or the galvanized material? And then he goes, wow, where did you work before? So I throw a bunch of terminology that he may not have heard of, but that is technical terminology. And then he realized he's talking to someone that know her stuff. So I would say my advice is not to be afraid to show confidence. And if you know what you're doing in your job, don't be afraid to show them you know what you're doing and you're doing the right thing because Sometimes people feel good about themselves when they caught you off guard. But if you throw a bunch of terminology to show that you are confident and you know what you are doing, they will not do this to you again. I think both of you have great advice there. Uh, being authentic from Marina and Vanessa, definitely speak up and just don't be afraid to speak up. So I think my advice my my stories is a little bit related to the the concept speak up. Uh, if I could just go back and tell my young self, in my first ten years of my career, definitely speak up. And there's many reasons for that. So one is I have been always worried about my accent and my English. I think up to now I've been in the country for twenty years, and it's still I, I still can't get away from that thought about you know my accent and and my English. So, so now if I, I think it back, I will say, so instead of being silent, 
what about I just speak more and practice more? I think that's the way that I would tell my younger self, say, hey, don't worry about your accent. Don't worry about your English. And definitely people are more accepting to your accent and your English more than you think. So that don't worry about it. Just, you know, just speak up and practice and nothing wrong about that. I think there's a, a saying, I don't know if I really captured that saying correctly, but it, it just basically say it does take courage to go to another country and speak another language. So just don't worry about, you know, your accent in English, just speak up. And and the, the second thing that, I, that related to the speak up concept is that uh, I would say the first 10 years of my career, I did not speak up much about myself. I was always a type of worker who put the heads down, do the best you can, work really hard. But I look back and I say, there's nothing wrong about talking about your accomplishments, right? I know that a lot of students and coworkers from coming from another country, they, we tend to kind of put our head down and just do our job, do the best we can, and don't brag about what we do. And I'm not saying that we're going to say, hey, I'm the best in every sentence you say, but just basically, if you accomplish something, talk about it, articulate about it. And, and it does show that you're confident and it does show that you're credible. And also it's a way to, to share your stories and to inspire other people who may be some people like you. You know, you do want to share your stories and you hopefully inspire others. Another story around the speak up thing concept is that maybe speak up at the meetings too. So I'm the type that I like to collect my thoughts before I speak. And sometimes in a meeting, when, when ideas are generated so fast, and sometimes I lose that opportunity to speak. So what I, and I don't know if it's maybe contribute to the fact that I'm not a native speaker, maybe, I'm not sure. But uh, one thing I, I would say is, be, be, be prepared so you know that the agenda for the meeting and just make sure that you have your idea, your thing that you want to say written down and make the goal to go to the meeting at least say one thing or at least say one suggestion, one idea, one feedback. And I think by doing that, you just establish yourself as a, a good contributor to the meeting, to the project, and it is always good for your career. There's a saying that I like is that never make fun of somebody who speaks with an accent. It means that they speak a second language and are brave enough to work in it. And I love whenever, it. Yes. Yes. Whenever I, I, whenever someone apologizes for their accent, I always tell them that and tell them there's no need to apologize because they are speaking English much better than I could speak their native language. And they are brave enough to work in a second language with me. So I always try to honor that. I love that, Sarah. So some of our listeners are international students themselves, but I'm sure that others are like me, not an international student, but somebody, people who were international students. Can you give tips on allyship and how they can be accepting and support those who came to the U.S. as international students? I can go first. So my advice will be be proactive in mentoring international students or people with international student background coming to work. Do not get too hung up if they are men or women. Sometimes a man may be afraid to establish a mentoring relationship with a younger woman. 
Sometimes an Asian young woman get misinterpreted with their intention when they approach an older man for some mentoring advice. So my advice for those who would like to be an ally is not to get too hung up, whether you are trying to mentor a guy or a girl. And for international students, my advice would be to seek for a mentor that have different background as you. And there are also different type of mentor. It can be a diverse group of mentor with different background, or it can even be peer mentoring. It's always good to get input from other people and get some advice so that you can think about what would be best for you. That's it. I guess I can offer a little piece of advice as well. For those seeking to be allies, I think it's important to be patient and much more important to be understanding of people with international backgrounds. We can come from a variety of cultures with that may be very distinct from your own. And you may like it or you might not, but with a little patience and understanding, I think you can get along. You don't always have to point out stark differences or even make fun of those differences. I've seen that happen in some cases, but you can be understanding and want to learn and you can ask questions with some curiosity. I think those are things that are helpful when you're when you'd like to be an ally. I think both of you have great advice there. If we just add a little small thing, I would say when you are an ally to people coming from different countries, different culture, I would say just be, like you say, Marina, be patient and it's be a little bit flexible because some of them, we all are different and some of them may do things and, and, and speak things differently. So just be flexible and just give them that opportunity to be themselves and they may try to express themselves in different way. Just, just flexible with them and keep them open so that that's the way that it can be open back to you. Great. Thank you so much. So Vanessa, Deanne, and Marina, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. You've provided some really valuable insight for our current and future engineers and leaders. I've never considered the importance and impact of having a driver's license before or And I've known that holidays could be stressful, but I never thought about the stress that I could bring about from the examples that you provided. Um, Daily savings time, also a really interesting example of cultural awareness for me. Daily savings time is something that most of us have grown up with and I've never given really a second thought. I've had a lot of conversations on culture shock before, but never had considered daily savings time as being part of that. I'm really impressed with the courage that all of you showed in taking. I'm really impressed with the courage that all of you showed in leaving your home countries to come to the United States for school. Thanks very much, Sarah. I really enjoyed talking and learning from all of you. Absolutely. I love the conversation. Thank you, Sarah, for hosting. And I just want to give all of you a hug. I hope that we can all catch up at a SWE conference in the future. Absolutely. So so again, thank you on behalf. Thank you for me, from SWE, from the Asian Connections Affinity Group. This has been a really incredible conversation. And again, I'm Sarah Koenig. And from all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, altogether at altogether.swe.org.